knocked to the canvas. So what happened to the Colts last night inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. 24-17, they lose the Steelers. Uh, good for the tank. Uh, bad for those in the clinging to playoff hopes. Or just in general, they want to see their football team win. Um, but that was the result last night. One good quarter of football. And when you do that, you're not potent enough uh, in that quarter to overcome that and win the football game. I thought it was their worst start to the season. Worst, I should say this, I thought it was their worst First half since week two shutout with Jacksonville. Uh, both sides of the ball. I, I, the defense was uh, very poor in the first half, especially against a rookie quarterback in Kenny Pickett. I'm Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is with us now. Um, this will be the only part of the week with the Monday night games coming up here last night and then again after Christmas. We'll just stick with the one pod at this point. We will have a bye week podcast coming up after the Cowboys try to set you a little bit more big picture stuff for those that have asked those sorts of questions. We'll save that until then. Eddie, you just see the result last night and you think, man, reality's starting to set in of you're going to miss the playoffs for the sixth time in eight years. Um, a season that had such high expectations um, in my lifetime, which is a little bit longer than yours, I don't recall a season that had this much preseason hope mm-hmm. and this much failure now. 12 games into the season where it's late November and you can take the Colts out of the sympathy. Hey, let's throw another team in that in the hunt graphic. Hey, you know, let's put the Colts up there. They're on prime time. Make sure everyone sees that they're in the hunt. Yeah. Uh, they're in the hunt for evaluating 2023 quarterbacks. At least that's where they need to be. Uh, and that was confirmed last night. Yeah. Uh, when you started to talk there, I was going to say, okay, we're going to talk about the Pacers. And then you're like, oh, nuts. Pulled the rug out from underneath me there, like oh, Charlie Brown. I apologize on that front. Hell of a finish to the Pacer game last night. For oh, us great. Down 17 in the fourth quarter. Andrew Nimhard and uh, Benedict Matherin and Aaron Neesmith just kind of catapulted the Pacers to a victory there um, over LeBron James. But, of course, the, the bigger picture here is that the Indianapolis Colts, they lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers on prime time. And... A lot of things that you did not like in this one. Uh, specifically, we'll start with the archaic offense, as you like to label it. Yeah, it is archaic. It's boring. Um, and the guy under center, Eddie, looks really old to me. Really old. He looks like he's aged five years in I think this season alone. I think it's so well said. I mean, I watched him last night and thought, how much is the shoulder impacting him? You know, I mean, is that? I mean, I feel like there's balls that he throws out on the perimeter. I'm like, is that a changeup? You know, is that going to get there? Um, you know, what I've noticed with this passing offense has been an issue all season long. And, Eddie, I think what you're seeing is as soon as that pocket starts to just break down a little, Matt Ryan crumbles. And I don't know if it's age, I don't know if it's injury, but the eyes come down, the turnover type throws happen it gets it's it's jittery he can't get past his first read it seems or his first couple reads uh and the shoulder just looks shot the arm looks weak i thought in the first quarter and a half you probably had a handful of balls that could have been picked off i couldn't believe the discrepancy in balls that pittsburgh challenged defensively and then the colts didn't challenge defensively i mean pittsburgh got their hands and were right there disrupting you know Attempts to catch balls by the Colts, whereas it was pretty pitch and catch early on for Kenny Pickett and the Steelers. Um, and the vertical passing game, it, it's really three prong. And, you know, I know I said it on last Wednesday's podcast. I mean, Matt Ryan, I thought was pretty candid last week and being, being like, you know, our, our offensive line, you know, they, they got to give us some time. Is that part of it, limiting the vertical passing game? Sure. But you know what? A huge part of it is. Matt Ryan is really only throwing jump balls down the field. You know, there's not like a nice 18-yard seam route that gets to the second or third level. Um, and then I would say third, non-O-line, non-quarterback, I, I just I still don't believe you're getting enough separation from your pass catchers. You know, when Pittman and Pierce make plays down the field, Eddie, it, it's just strictly a jump ball. It's not like they're open. You know, it's it's high point of ball and hope that your guy can go up and climb the ladder and make a play there. And, you know, Pittman did later on. But, you know, I, I'm watching this offense and I'm thinking to myself, remember the Chris Boward quote 
about Carson Wentz at the end of last season? Make the layups? Sure. But you know what? You got to attempt a few three-point shots. Like, when they finally threw that ball to Pittman on the final drive, it was almost one of those, thank the Lord they're at least trying something down the field. Good things happen in the NFL when you take chances vertically. If you can block it up and you give your receivers chances and you know potentially there could be flags, you know, Pittman and Pierce have shown an ability to make some of those plays. Um, it, it's just such an archaic offense. Um, the next-gen stats note last night I thought was wild. They said that Matt Ryan... Uh, He's attempted deep attempts on 4% of his passes. It's the lowest number that they have seen since 2016. I mean, that's a whole lot of quarterbacks in a seven-year span. So, I mean, it's a weak arm. It's no separation. The DBs can just sit on the routes. I thought Troy Aikman very accurately just roasted, roasted the Colts passing offense of Matt Ryan all game long. Um it just limits you, man. It, it limits you so, so much. Didn't have your first completion until midway point of the second quarter. I'm sure everybody saw that stat. That's the longest drought for a team to start a game since the Denver Broncos started Kendall Hinton in the COVID game off the, the wide receiver off the practice squad back in yep. 2020. Um, and again, all of this is against the 31st-ranked passing defense. That's what Pittsburgh was coming into the game. They had given Real up questions at corner. About 285 yards a game passing. So it's just such a, um, it's such a sorry state of a passing offense. And it is easily the biggest issue for this team this season. Again, you sprinkle in a turnover from Ryan. Obviously, you sprinkle in the turnover from Taylor. That doesn't aid things either. But you just cannot consistently move it. And that allows for teams to load the box. It allows for teams to jam opposing pass catchers at the line of scrimmage. And it is just such a lethargic, bleak passing offense. Tell you what, though, I made two bets last night on Matt and Ryan, and they both hit. And I Some under action? No. Well, one, yes. One, one under and one over, and they both hit. I, I had zero hope for the over, but then somehow he made it happen. What I, was that? The Three. completions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I took his over 20 and a half on completions. So that that final drive meant a whole lot to you. You know, it, I think it's one of those things where um, we saw it a little bit more last night. The free rushers that come at Matt Ryan and the inability to take advantage of those free rushers stands out. And I know I said this last Monday, I guess it would have been, after the Eagles game, but I think it's more relevant to what we just saw with Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett is another reminder of if you can do a little bit with your legs, you can create. Yep. And the Colts don't have that. Again, that pocket starts to break down, and it's like a folding chair watching Matt Ryan either go down or throw the ball away. And like the throwaways just look terrible. I mean, I, I know that's kind of a stupid thing to say, but it just looks awkward. Um, he looks old. He looks old. And I never thought I would utter the phrase at this point of the season, but I did it last night. I think Colts would be better off having Carson Wentz at quarterback right now. And I know that's like a very like crazy thought to some people. By no means am I saying they should have kept Carson, you know, again. Yeah. You you, you need to move on. But I think Carson Wentz would give you more of a threat at quarterback than you have right now. I mean he had that escapability factor. Sure. And that's something Matt Ryan does not have. Um, late, you have the third, you have the second down and seventeen, and the scramble by Matt Ryan for fourteen yards. Uh, Jeff Saturday and Matt Ryan elect not to use the timeout, which means uh, the time management or clock management, as some people say it, was not on the Colts side, and that's another thing that you did not like. Yeah, you know, a little bit of the Jeff Saturday jolt just kind of gone. You know, you got off to the same old starts that you were happening, um, that were happening with Frank Reich, um, and then let's focus here on the time management in the fourth quarter. I think listeners to this podcast will know I pay a lot of attention to this. I think it's um, the biggest aspect that a coach has impact over on a game day, and it can create such an advantage for you if you have you know proper understanding, a proper grasp of it, all of those things. And was it the sole reason why the Colts lost? No, it's why I didn't lead off with that. But it's an issue that I think has to be talked about and certainly something that if we're evaluating Jeff Saturday from a head coaching standpoint, 
this needs a little bit more on that front. So, Eddie, the Colts had a uh, what Alex Highsmith forces a fumble when that play started at the minute 35 mark from the 33-yard line. It was a first and 10. It set up a second and 17. I'm watching it, and I thought I would probably take my first time out here. I think after a pass rush moment like that, I think it's probably good to just kind of settle everybody down, regroup a little bit. And I think that's what we don't think about maybe at times of timeouts. A timeout is not necessarily to stop the clock necessarily. Yep. It's a big part of just let's breathe, let's regroup. And look at the personnel you had out on the field. You had two rookies in big spots in Jelani Woods and Bernard Ryman. Very different foreign opportunities for them. I mean, Jelani, I mean, he played, I would say, easily the most. Um, he, he had all season long and he's missed some time. You know, it's probably worth pointing out. You have Jonathan Taylor out there, and he's not used to being out there. You know, he's not the two minute back. I know we mm-hmm. kind of laugh at that, and you're curious why, but that's different for him. And then what about Parks Frazier up top? Totally different environment than what he is typically in. So I think at that point, the more quick tempo you go, is there an element of like you can catch the Steelers off guard? They might be tired. Sure. But I think there's also an element that. That creates more individual one-on-one opportunities. And the Steelers have certainly the better personnel, particularly up front, yeah. than the Colts do, in holding up in those moments. So, no timeout after the fumble. Matt Ryan scrambles for 14. Now it's third and three. Um, from the fifth, uh, There's 59 seconds to go uh, when the minute 35 on the first play, 59 seconds to go on the scramble. 34 seconds when the ball snapped on the third and three. And Alex Highsmith said it after the game. I knew with how Jelani Woods was lining up and how Jonathan Taylor was lined up, they were going to run it. And again, Jelani Woods and Alex Highsmith in a one-on-one matchup when he doesn't know what the play is, is not a good matchup for the Colts. When he knows what the play is or knows it's going to be a run, likely to the interior, because that's seemingly all where the Colts run, or only place that the Colts run, it's not going to end well. And Woods gets blown up, and now it's fourth down, a, a, a down that the Colts have really struggled in. You take the time out there, and at that point it was too late. Um, again, my issues, Eddie, are more based off of get everybody on the same page. It's not an explosive offense. We've got to take all these chances and make sure that we execute them properly and everybody's on the same page. And in that situation, I don't know, maybe you slub, sub Jelani out. Maybe you put Mo in there. You think a little bit of a, of a better blocker. I, something along those lines in that moment if you still want to run it there. Um, maybe you want to change up wide receiver personnel. Maybe you want to get Pierce back on the field instead of Doolin in that moment. So I think those are some things to explore there. And I just thought it created more chaos for guys that are not used to being in those scenarios. Mm -hmm. A couple other things to note, I think, on that play. If you call a timeout after the scramble, it gives the booth more time to maybe review it. I know a lot of people were upset with that spot. It's it's an awkward rule, the whole give up that the quarterback does. It wasn't a slide by Matt Ryan. It was a dive. Um, I, I feel like NFL officials are starting to err on the side of when you dive forward, you're giving yourself up. Which, again, I know is a little bit different than like, wait, didn't Matt Ryan dive on a third and one QB sneak or fourth and one, whatever that was earlier? You know, is that, I guess, when you do it in the open field, maybe it's different. Um, But that was a thought that I had. And then this is me probably nitpicking a little bit, but why not call the timeouts when Pittsburgh are kneeling at the end of the game? I mean, it's an injured center and a rookie quarterback. I'm probably grasping at straws here, but make him snap the ball. We've seen some snap issues in the NFL this season. Um, I just didn't love ending the game there with two timeouts. Even if you convert the fourth down, you still got to go about 20-some yards with only one timeout, assuming you take the timeout after Campbell makes that grab. And that's no guarantee for this offense. You, you were going to be fighting the clock if you got that fourth down still with only one timeout left. I mean, one sack in that in that moment, and you're borderline screwed. Or you probably are screwed. I would say last thing on time management front, Eddie. I just thought to myself, the Colts and Jeff Saturday have to be so happy that Peyton Manning's not doing the Manning cast. <laughs> yeah. 
watching that offense, and then there's nothing that Peyton pisses off pisses him off more than when people don't take timeouts. You are doing the timeout motion right now, and I will do it with you as well. This should be a video podcast. Everyone do the timeout motion. We can all see Peyton doing it. He does yeah. it every every week on the Manning cast. Guarantee you he would have been calling for it in that moment. I'd love to know how much of that was Jeff Saturday saying this is the best route to go with, and how much of that was maybe him listening to people above him or not listening to him. You know, Because obviously you have people in the booth that are trying to guide you through that sort of situation but I thought it was really really poor time management you know were they trying to run out the clock and then go for two at the end I mean score with 20 seconds to go if your defense can't stop Kenny Pickett in 20 seconds you deserve to lose the game that's what I was about to ask I was like I I mean I get at the same time like wanting to save the try to run the clock a little bit because we've seen it time and time again on that sideline right I just I didn't think it was a good moment from a time management, clock management standpoint. Again, not the biggest deal in the world from the game, but in evaluating Jeff Saturday, you've got to point to some of these moments. And is it a live and learn moment? You know, it, quite possibly it could be. Jeff didn't seem to think the clock management was an issue after the game. We'll see um, if he clears that up at all later today. But um, yeah. Uh, the final thing that you did not like, and you said it's a step back for the defense. How so? I just thought Kenny Pickett controlled too much of that game, Eddie. And, you know, part of me looks at the defense and I'm like, am I critiquing the defense, like, too much? You know, maybe a little bit, but I don't know how anyone could watch that first half and say that was the defense playing at a at a good level, an acceptable level. Again, that's not a vaunted Pittsburgh offense. I thought it was the worst I've seen them tackle in quite a while. I thought that was an issue. I brought up earlier just the lack of contested plays they made when balls were in the air. Um, I thought they did do. A, I, I thought they did show up after the Matt Ryan interception to force. Yeah, there was a nice sudden change moment there. Yeah, the big. two sacks by Unique. Yeah, again, it wasn't all awful, but you know, if you had told me tonight, at the start of the night that Pittsburgh scored twenty four points and really just one of them, the field goal came off a short field. That's disappointing to me. Agreed. Um, and no Najee Harris in the second half. Obviously, they played well in the third quarter, but still that big touchdown drive there to retake the lead ended up being the game-winning score. And tackling. I, I know it's a carica. Was Isaiah Rogers hurt? That's another thing I need to clarify today. I don't know. A lot of Brandon Faison, and then we'll get into this and things I did like. You know, Obviously, Rogers was kick-returning the ball great, and then all of a sudden Dallas Flowers went back there. You would think that that would indicate that Rogers was hurt at, at, at some point there. Uh, but yeah, rush and cover issues, I thought, too often for the Colts. Um, and I just see this with Trevor Lawrence late last season and now Kenny Pickett this year. I just don't feel like the Colts dictate enough to young rookie quarterbacks. But Kenny Pickett hadn't won a road start until last night. you got to dictate a little bit more to him, um, and you did not do that. So I thought for the standard of this defense, it was not a good night for them based off what we've been used to. Uh, Steelers were 7 of 14 on third down as well. Colts 3 so of 12. third and shorts too. Yeah, I feel like they failed on like 3 or 4 third and 2s, third and 3s. You know, they won those early downs. I feel like the Colts got some early down chances or some uh, third and short chances a little bit early but could not convert those. Um, so yeah, I, I did not like what I saw from the defense. Uh, only a couple things to like from this game. I thought the special teams, and specifically on the return game, uh, was exceptional all night long, and that's really what provided the spark there with Dallas Flowers starting the second half with that big, what was it, an 84-yard return? Yeah, I think it was 89. Um, big one. That I couldn't believe you brought it out. You know, It's one of those things where God bless the undrafted free agent out of, ironically, Pittsburgh State. Um, the Gorillas, I believe. A lot of colleges for... Uh, Dallas Flowers. There, Not a big Pittsburgh State fan because they uh, knocked my Greyhounds out of the Division II uh, football tournament just about a month ago. I did not know that. Yes. Look at that. The Fighting Gorillas over the Fighting Greyhounds there on the D2 front. Um, You know, I thought the kick return unit was terrific and the numbers backed that up. You had 225 kick return yards. That's the most for any NFL team this season. Eddie, that's the most the Colts have had in nearly 20 years. And how rare is this? You had two different kick returners with over 100 yards. First time any NFL team has done that since 
Denver in 2010 with Eric Decker and former Colts legend Cassius Vaughn. Woo! Cassius Vaughn, what about a that name. name. Uh, but no, uh, Flowers gave you the spark. I mean, you guys know I'm a huge believer in game flow. If Flowers does not make that kick return, I, I think there's a good chance the Colts get ran, run out of their own building. But that sparked things, set up the short field, and you know what? Screw it. Let's get Dallas Flowers, Isaiah Rogers, and Wildcat Dallas to death on Sunday night. They can just play quarterback. I thought Flowers showed a great burst there. And, you know, that was just his second. He has not played on defense this year. Uh, and that was just his second touch. He had a punt return against Denver in week five. It's not like he's played much at all um, outside of some coverage units there. So I forget which player was doing an interview. It might have been It might have been Doolin. I can't fully remember, but this was like earlier in the year. And they were talking about, you know, the fastest players on the team and Dallas Flowers was thrown out there. Yeah. And uh, now you can see why. And that was just a just such a jolt. And I thought, you know, it hasn't been a perfect season by any means for Bubba Ventrone, but that was a really strong night for him. Isaiah Rogers was consistent as a kick returner. Um, so, yeah, great work by Dallas Flowers and that return unit. Uh, the other thing that you could probably take away from this game that you liked was Jelani Woods. Yeah, and you know, bouncing back from the early drop, you know, he's been dealing with a lot of stuff off the field, Eddie. I think that's worth pointing out. You know, he was close, obviously close with the Virginia football team, considering he played there last season. Hadn't played, you know, battling that shoulder issue a little bit. I think the thing you notice with Woods, and no Kylan Granson, so you need him more. The thing you notice with Woods, he just provides such a catch radius. Yep. Like his ability to just his frame just kind of boxes out the defender. I think he caught all eight of his targets after the drop. Yes, he did. Um, I was about to throw that out there. So big. I mean, it had to be close to 100 yards, was he? 98. 98. Just a really solid night for him, and I think you saw it on the Minka Fitzpatrick pass interference penalty. I felt like that was pretty good practice, pretty good coverage by Minka. I mean, yeah, it was probably worth a flag. When you target Jelani, especially in those areas, and the DB has to go through him, he's going to make more contact. And it's just more of a frame to draw pass interference penalties yeah. from. So, um, you know, tight end again has been an issue in finding consistency. Jelani really outsnapped Mo um, Alley Cox in, in, in this one. Clearly, he was part of the two minute package there late. Um, so, really nice night from the rookie there, and I think was one of the lone, lone bright spots uh, for the Colts. I know when we did our post-draft recap, and we did, and I was going through because some of these players, because we, we oftentimes talk about how Ballard drafts players that have similar skill sets, qualities, traits, and whatnot, and I know we compared him a lot to Mo Cox, same size in terms of height, just a little bit leaner on the side of the weight, but the catch yeah. radius is you know, just very similar to Mo Alley Cox, and this is like no slight to Mo at all. Jelani just looks way more athletic, yeah, than Mo. A little bit more of a fluid, a fluid athlete. Um, I think just in, in getting in and out of breaks, things like that. Um, so yeah, Jelani Woods individually, really well done last night. Uh, Forty-one snaps for Jelani and twenty-two for Mo Alley Cox. Uh, how much did Kalinich play or whatever his name? He is? played six, so he's been blocking. You know, a little bit for them. They've they've called them up a few times. So yeah, um, is that all I got? Yes. Okay. And yeah. You don't have anything else you want to add into this? Nah, I think we just slide into Twitter questions, man. All righty. Jason is first. Would a team that is four seven and one be considered ahead or behind a team that is four and seven based on one team having played one more game than the other at this point? Okay, so I know we got a lot of questions draft related, and again, Eddie, welcome to the Colts on November 29th, ninth, twenty twenty two. You know, it's again not in the hunt for the playoffs. It's in the hunt for a top ten pick. Oh, by the way, I forgot to ask this off the top. Would you cut off your pinky for Caleb Williams after what you saw against Notre Dame? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Maybe I'm looking at my pinky right now. Maybe the left one. I don't know. I I need would need to hold the golf club and see which one I feel like has a little (laughs) bit more prominence on it. Maybe look at the keyboard is probably what I should look at first and see where my typing would be. But yeah, Caleb Williams. He's um. There's some Patrick Mahomes escapability to him. Not the arm, of course. But when you watch Mahomes, Eddie, it's not like he's running 4-4. But you, they just have such a great feel of like where the pressure's coming from and keep their eyes down the field. Yep. So many times, and hell, I mean, we see the Colts right now. The pressure comes, 
and you collapse and you don't keep your eyes down the field. Caleb Williams just, I think Notre Dame just missed another tackle, actually, now that I think about it. Okay, 14 right now, Eddie. That's where the Colts are in draft position. They will move up. Let me just start there in simplest terms. What the tie basically means is this. You go off win percentage. The tie means you got a half of a half of a win. And half of a loss. So when you divide how many games the Colts have played, your win percentage... So right now the Colts have four wins, correct? They've yes. played 12 games. They're 4-7-1. and one. Instead of doing four divided by 12 for a 3-3-3-3 win percentage, you actually do the 4.5 out of 12. That creates a .375 win percentage. Now, you look at teams above them. That's why they're 14th, which I think alarms a lot of people. Way too much math here, but the question's asked, so we'll answer. They have one, two, three, four, five. Five teams at four and seven above them. You have one, two, three, four teams at four and eight above them. So when you look at that, assuming the Colts lose to Dallas, they're going to have two weeks where all those four-win teams are going to have a chance to get to a fifth win. I mean, we're talking Carolina, New Orleans, Arizona, Green Bay, the Raiders, the Browns, the Jags, the Steelers, the Lions. It's a lot of teams that you have the potential to move up on with having such a late bye week. So I hope that clarifies things on that front. Again, I know there's a lot of math, but basically if you look at it, it would not shock me if when the Colts return from their bye week for their final four games of the season, they're sitting there with like the eighth pick or seventh pick. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I hope that does from a math standpoint there, but just trust me on that. You've did, got, you give, did you give the winning percentage? Yeah, so their winning percentage right now is .375. Yep, okay. Again, 4.5 divided by 12. And then you look at, what, four teams above them at .364. And then, yeah. And then a lot of teams above Those them. Those are the teams that are 4 and 7, just for clarification. You have nine teams beside yourself with four wins right now. You are the best of the four win teams because of the tie. All those other teams have seven or eight losses and no tie. So again, assuming you lose to Dallas and then your bye week, that offers all those teams two weeks, assuming they don't have a bye, two weeks to try and get to a fifth win, whereas the Colts are not getting to a fifth win. Again, this is under the assumption that they lose to Dallas. So apologies up front for the math. Um, my head hurts just talking about it. But Math is not our forte. That's where that's where we're at right now. Uh, Daniel, excuse me. You're good. Daniel is next. First half offense was awful, and Matt Ryan seemed to be the epicenter of it all. Would you agree? I also think we've seen enough of Ryan this year. Minute hopes for playoffs. Oh, minute. Sorry. Whoa. Minute hopes for playoffs, but I only see one win on the schedule right now, regardless of the quarterback. So let's let Sam Ellinger finish the year and evaluate him for next year. Colts postgame was giving Matt Ryan one more start, but starting Sam Ellinger back in Texas would motivate him and give fans something to talk about again in an otherwise closing season. Yeah, Jeff Saturday said afterwards, and thank you, Daniel, for the question. Jeff Saturday said afterwards they will be sticking with Matt Ryan. Um, again, I think I mentioned on last week's podcast, I would think the bye week would be the next time they would even possibly entertain the move. And I think they need to be eliminated, frankly, from the playoffs for that to happen. And I don't know. Uh, I don't think they can be eliminated by the time they return from the playoff, uh, from the bye. Maybe they can, but I think it could still be like a 1% chance or something crazy there. Uh, I, I am, I'm ready to go with Ellinger again. I don't. Don't need to see Matt Ryan anymore. Again, I said it out loud yesterday. I'd rather have Carson Wentz. Um, at some point, your quarterback has got to be a creator. And again, you are not supporting Matt Ryan. Let me make that very, very clear. You have not supported him enough, but he has not supported you either. Uh, do not need to see Matt Ryan. There's financial implications with his contract, the reasons that I would not want to see him again. Um, but I don't. It doesn't sound like Jeff Saturday is going down that path. It doesn't sound like Jim Irsay is going to demand a benching like he did with Frank Reich either. Which is just so weird. It is weird. Um, I think a lot of this comes back to, again, Jeff Saturday or uh, Jim Irsay really wants this thing to work. 
and he's going to allow Jeff Saturday to kind of have free reign in what he wants to do. Um, and I'll reiterate what I said back in October, Eddie. The move to Ellinger in Ursay's eyes was not a tank move. It was they felt like Ellinger gave them a better chance. And as the O-Lions continue to look like this, and Matt Ryan, I think, continues to look old, honestly, Ellinger probably does give you a bit of the best shot right now. Um, When you factor in all of that, it's got to be so solid around Matt Ryan for him to be effective. And that's an issue for this football team right now. I think he was on Colin Coward's show. I could be incorrect here, but I know he was on one of those Fox Sports uh, TV slash radio shows. Who was? Um, Sean Payton. Okay. He mentioned that he could possibly see the NFL implement a lottery system like the NBA for draft picks as soon as this offseason for the 2024 draft because he has a feeling that teams will tank for Caleb Williams because there hasn't been a talent like him uh, coming out of college football that's this pro-ready since Andrew Luck. Interesting. Um, I like Caleb Williams a lot, and I think he'd be the number one pick in this year's draft. I probably want to see just a little bit more. Um, obviously, the Lincoln-Riley stigma just kind of where those quarterbacks and how they've performed at the NFL levels there. Like, is that escapability going to work in the NFL? I'd like to see him just be forced to throw from the pocket a little bit more. I mean, he's got a great arm and, and fits balls into great, you know, very tight windows. Uh, but that'll be something that I'd, I'd like to see. Yeah, I've always been curious if and when the NFL would go to a lottery just because it only adds more eyes. I mean, yeah. NBA lottery night's a big deal for those teams in the lottery. Um, so that, that's interesting from Sean Payton. This offense is just sorry. We obviously need a new quarterback, but assuming we need to give up some capital to get one, what else should this team be looking at to somehow have an offense with a pulse next year? This is from Patrick. Gosh, man. Pulse. Think about that. Um, You know, a huge question here over the final month of the season is how does Bernard Ryman look? And what do you do at left tackle? I mean, that is, from an individual standpoint, I'd argue that's one of the Biggest, if not the biggest. Um, then you got some free agent questions. You know, Yannick Ngakwe, you're going to get to the end of the year, Eddie, and he's he might have a career high in sacks. And I don't know, maybe our expectations were like higher. Again, not the most impactful, but you know that's something that I've you know thought about. I, I still stand by. You need another weapon from a pass catching standpoint. Um, so those are kind of three areas that I look towards. Um, and then I assume Stephon Gilmore will return. Uh, he's under contract, but you know, are you 100% sure that, again, Gilmore can still play? I mean, a 33-year-old corner, it's amazing what Gilmore's doing at 32. You know, Next year is even another level on that, but uh, those are kind of the other areas that I look at right now as my priority list, non-quarterback division. Did Matt Ryan not have a first down when he ran it himself on second, second down on the final drive of the game? Asks Jack, he dove forward, so he never gave himself up, and I never saw him get touched. Why was there no spot challenge? Yeah, it's a good, it, it, it's a good question. Um, well, it was inside two minutes, so you can't challenge it anyway. Right. So again, you know, I suggested earlier take the time out, create more of an opportunity for the booth to make a play there. Uh, I just feel like the NFL is no longer rewarding guys for the forward dive in the open field. And honestly, Eddie, <laughs> you know who we can probably blame for this? I know it didn't happen at the NFL level. Is Kenny Pickett. Remember Pickett doing the fake slide last year in college football? Yeah, but that would have been feet first. Right, but I think that has started this. For a player safety standpoint, we cannot allow a quarterback to try and fake the defender out. Defenders are already easing up on guys in that situation. They don't want to create situations where quarterbacks fake it. The defender eases up, wanting to stay away from a penalty, and next thing you know, that quarterback's making a play like Pickett did Yeah, college-wise last season. Um yeah, I, I'd have to really go back and look at it. I didn't. I didn't look like a Steelers defender touched him, but I don't know that for sure. Uh, but still, I think when you give yourself up in that moment, the benefit of the doubt, honestly, it goes to the defense there and marking you down as soon as you attempt any sort of movement to go to the ground. I mean, it's all a judgment call anyway, so I don't know how you can even determine when he starts to go down. Yeah, it's so well. Again, and what about intent? You know, was he going down to give up his body there, or was he trying to stretch out and get the first down? I mean, it goes back to the QB sneak earlier in the game. There, Matt Ryan jumped 
and you know, try to go forward. I mean, when you're diving for the pylon, you're not giving yourself up. Like, I don't know. Very complicated to me. Oh, also something we didn't talk about in the what we didn't like section, another red zone turnover. Yeah, and on, on a simple handoff. And I feel bad for Matt Ryan because he's going to get credited with that fumble, but that was all on Jonathan yeah, Taylor. Taylor, and I think what we've seen from Taylor this season, again, a lack of support around him. But, Eddie, if I go into those contract negotiations, I'd be worried about running back, giving him that dollar anyways, and now you see the fumbles, and now you see a little bit of an injury. Leverage, more leverage for Indianapolis in those instances there. The timeliness of these turnovers this season, crippling. I mean, I guess you overcame it in that situation there, but still, just from a momentum standpoint, just absolutely crippling. So I just rewatched that Matt Ryan run. Does he get touched? Um, I was more so he gets touched. Yeah, he gets touched on the foot by Edmonds after he lands on like the first down marker, but his knee touches down at the twenty-five yard line. And where's the first down? The 23, maybe. Yeah, the 23, I think, was it was like between the 23 and 24. So I think they officially called it the 23. So really, they only missed it by a yard. And it was what, third and three or third and two? Uh, third and three. It would have been third and two yeah. or one and a half. So again, I guess we're kind of nitpicking a little bit. I think what the Colts could have done in those situations, call the timeout. That's probably where. You could have potentially gotten the ear of the ref and seen if something different would have happened from a booth review. Uh, the next question from Twitter is from Joel. With that said, do you think the regression of the offensive line over the past few years has been due to your highly paid players, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, and Braden Smith, each being next to left tackle and right guard, who are not performing at a high enough level, this cannot make up for the gaps, or is it more individual regression from each player? Yeah, I would say both. I mean, I think all five spots have regressed to some level. And by the way, kudos to Braden Smith last night. I thought he held up against C.J. Watt tremendously. Uh, so kudos to him with that. But you know, if you look at each five up front, you know, Smith probably being the least of the five – the letter grade you would have given that position last year, it's a lower letter grade this year. All five of them. Now, again, obviously the personnel is not the same at left tackle and right guard. I would say that left tackle and center, to me, Eddie, have probably been the biggest issues. Yep. That's where I would point to as kind of the the biggest issues. And on your offensive line, those are the two most important issues or positions. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I mean, certainly. Um, and, again, it probably gets exasperated a little bit when you have such a statue at quarterback, but I would say those are those are your biggest issues right now. Uh, has Michael Pittman Jr. proven he's a legit wide receiver one in the National Football League from King of Colts? I know the Colts fans are so desperate to feel like we have an elite player at this position, but I'm not sure MPJ is it. I know everyone has a different definition on what a wide receiver one is. For me, it's a guy that can consistently take over a game when you need him to. A guy that just consistently makes plays regardless of what the defense does. And I've seen too many quiet games from him. If you consider him a legit wide receiver one, are you paying him $20 million plus a year if the answer is no then he's not a legit wide receiver one enjoy the pod and i hope we lose every game for the rest of the season king of, king of colts appreciate that uh the question not the sentiment there at the end i guess but nonetheless i understand where you're coming from with that you know eddie i think i said this a little bit about jonathan taylor a little bit ago but Pittman's probably a little bit more in this case when you're in year three and you're a second round pick it's pretty much a contract year I mean, you're striving for that extension. Pittman saw it with all those wideouts around the 2019 draft class, McLaurin and Metcalf and Debo and A.J. Brown and all those guys last season. Um, If you're grading Pittman, and a little bit Taylor, but I would say more Pittman on the second contracts, they haven't gotten to that level, to the $20 level. Um, Again, the support around him has not been great. Let me reiterate that. 
but just a couple drops and balls of care. And I just come from somebody that loves Pittman, and I like him a lot. And I guess a, a thing we got to do, Eddie, is like, can we define number one wideout? Number one wideout does not literally mean number one wideout on a team. Number one wideout, I think, in fans' minds means, are you a top half starting caliber wideout? Are you a top 15 wideout in the league? That's, to me, what it means. Um, if you're just a number one, yeah, I mean, Michael Pittman's definitely number one for the Colts. Now, granted, the wideout core isn't great, but um, has Michael Pittman proven to be a top 15 wideout? No. So the contract should not be at that level. Um, are the Colts back into a corner a little bit of, hey, what else are you going to do? Do you run the risk of getting to free agency next season with Pittman? Are your hands tied a little bit? And maybe he doesn't like the quarterback situation or doesn't like the fact that he didn't get an extension after year three. Does he want to move? Uh, does he want to test free agency? I think those are all questions that you have to ask yourself when it comes to his you know, future contract negotiations. But it's a dangerous game to play. I understand you know, $20 million is a big number, and it's probably too big for him. But it's a team that's void of talent, and it's not like you can cure every need with draft capital and free agency. Um, so I think you got to be careful on that front here. You might be overpaying a little bit, but you know, what if you get a better quarterback? What if you have better offensive line play? Does that lead to a little bit more from Pittman? Okay, let me ask you this question while we're on the contract situation here. When you look at wide receivers, you know, typically they look at the market and what some guys are being paid. Here are some players that are being paid being paid twenty million or more, and I want to tell you I want you to tell me if any of these guys are that you think are better than Michael Pittman Jr. Okay, I like it. Terry McLaurin, twenty two million seven hundred eighty eight thousand. DJ Moore, twenty million six hundred twenty eight thousand. Keenan Allen, twenty million twenty five thousand. Amari Cooper, twenty million. Mike Williams, twenty million. Chris Godwin, twenty million. Is he better than any of those wide receivers in your eyes? You know, I, I think the answer is no. Um, there were a few more names in that twenty million category, Eddie, that I didn't expect to be there. I guess. Um, you know, I think the other thing got to point out about Pittman is he's been pretty healthy in his NFL career. So that, I think, is something that you have to acknowledge as well. I mean, you know, a guy like Mike Williams just really, really banged up when you think about that. Um, and the age. I mean, you know, Pittman is still an ascending player. You know, a guy like Keenan Allen, of course, has reached kind of the back half of his career. Um, so you went with yearly average there? Yes. I'm going to try and look up this group. And you look at the... 17 to 18 range. You've got Tyler Lockett at 17 and a quarter. Christian Kirk from last year, 18 a year. Uh, and Cooks is making 19. Yes. DJ Moore's making 20. Yeah. Kenny Galladay's making 18. Lockett at 17. Wow. I mean, the more you look at some of these names, man, Hunter Renfro at 16. I mean, the more you look at this and you're thinking, boy, Michael Pittman probably deserves around 18 or so. Yeah. So. Um, I don't have as big of an issue with it as most and paying him a little bit more. But again, I'm a big believer that you can manipulate the cap a little bit more than the Colts have. Uh, The next Twitter question goes to Drew. So we all know how much Jim Irsay wants to have this team play in prime time. But watching the Colts in prime time is like watching James Cameron's Titanic, specifically the part where everyone dies on repeat. Boy, that's quite the sight, okay? Offensively, it's a nightmare. The line is still terrible. Matt Ryan is awful. And then there's the Cowboys next week on Sunday Night Football. Will this be the actual reason he fires Chris Ballard? Because his team is embarrassed on primetime television. It's not a ridiculous question because Ursay is a ridiculous man having the biggest power trip of his life. Wow. That's a lot to unpack there. Um, again, predicting Jim Mercer is impossible. And the Chris Bauer thing is just such a tough read. It, it, it seems awkward. It seems weird. You know, I mentioned this after the Eagles loss. I think it's worth repeating again after yesterday. When you fire a head coach, what you're doing is you're exposing your roster. You're exposing your GM. I know expose has a negative connotation to it, but basically what you're saying is, it's a coaching issue more than a roster issue. 
and I mean, look at the Ursay quotes. Whoever Ursay's talked to, Stephen Holder, he did it last week with, Mike Chappell and Bob Kravitz the week before, a couple weeks before, he thinks the personnel is good enough. So having said that, if the Colts tailspin here, and what are they, one and two under Saturday? If they go two and six, you know, is that a bit of a reflection? I think it's a kind of an unfair evaluation for Jeff Saturday. You just a blanket statement, look at his record and say, yep, okay, that means that's the type of coach Jeff Saturday is. Again, he thrown into a, just an awful situation. But the more you watch this football team this season, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, how do you not say it's personnel driven? But I again, I have a very tough read on Ballard. Very tough read on... Felt confident about Reich and what was going to happen there. Can't say the same thing about Ballard. Uh, two questions left. Is the floor of Matt Ryan's obsolete quarterback play truly better than the ceiling of Sam Ellinger's modern quarterback play? That's from Mamba. Boy, that's a really good way to look at it. I mean, to answer, I would say no. I, I, I don't think so. Now, again... If you can't support him being Matt Ryan, you have to ask yourself that question. You know, you're kind of admitting you're admitting that it's your fault, but that's the reality of where the Colts are. Yeah. In late November here in 2022. Again, I don't think they're making a change imminently, but that's where you're kind of at with things. So you know, I've been a big believer in playing Ellinger for the future in that you need to get an evaluation on him. But, boy, I'm starting to hear some people that are like, hey, in the short term, he's an upgrade. I mean, I don't know if it's injury-related. I don't know if it's pressure-related. I don't know if it's age-related. Maybe it's all of it, Eddie. But Matt Ryan looks old. Looks old. It's just... I mean, even watching him like attempt to get that fumble back. Yeah. You know, and I get it. That's kind of a weird play for any quarterback, but it just, man, it looks a bit frail, to be honest with you. I mean, do you guys forget how Sam Ellinger looked against the Patriots and how anemic that offense was? And again, that's a top, what, five defense? This is the 31st ranked passing defense in the NFL you played yesterday. That would be concerning to me as well. And you have the Dallas Cowboys, who have been arguably the best defense in the NFL coming up on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, I said it to my in-laws, you know, they're asking, hey, what are your thoughts on the Colts? And I'm like, I think I said it last Wednesday, I'm very worried about Matt Ryan these next two weeks. Very worried. I think he'd get broken. And I don't think the hits were necessarily to the vicious level last night, but he looked broken. And Alex Highsmith, of course, dialed up a big one there uh, on the final drive. Last question on the pod goes to Tanner. How can a Colts fan or Chris Ballard watch this Dallas game and not think the Colts have neglected the tight end position? I think one could make a strong argument that they have the worst group in the league and the coaching staff almost takes them out of the game plan weekly. Colts make it look hard going down the field. Then you watch these offenses and it just makes you wonder. I guess another knock on Chris Ballard for not using free agency, especially on tight end, when so many effective cheap options are out there. I truly think this is one of the many things handicapping their offense. What are your thoughts? Tanner, I disagree. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, uh, I'll let you go first then. I mean, you see all last night. There's an obvious talent there with Jelani Woods. Kylan Granson has flashed at moments. And Mo Alley Cox is what Mo Alley Cox is, is mainly an inline blocker, not really down the field in the vertical passing game or in the passing game at all in the red zone. I think there is talent there in the wide receiver room. I wouldn't go out to say that it's the worst group in the league, but I'm not putting it in the top half. I would say it's right there in the middle, just below average, but I wouldn't say it's the worst. Um to be fair to the question, I think Tanner asked that during the Cowboys-Giants game, so he didn't see what Jelani Woods did. That was a Thanksgiving question. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I just want to point that out. I know the timeliness of some of these questions can kind of get lost in the shuffle. I think it's fair to have this debate, though, Eddie. Who do the Colts miss more, Jack Doyle or T.Y. Hilton? Alec Ogletree. Drew Ogletree, I'm sorry. <laughs> like You mentioned Mo Alley-Cox. Mo has not allowed you to put a tight end out there play 70% of 
80% of the snaps and you don't tip your hand one way or the other. Now, Dallas, you know, Dalton Schultz, more of a receiver. Um, and, and I like their group, Ferguson and Hendershot, the Indiana kid as well. Um, but tight end is a unique position in that it allows you to be unpredictable. And I just feel like the Colts are tipping their hand with their tight ends right now. Um, you know, Jelani's had some moments as a nice blocker, but again, not to the full extent that you would like. And just not as, it, last night he certainly showed this, but he's had some drops this season. Um, and there's so much just little stuff that doesn't even show up in the box score that I feel like we don't see with the tight end groups and we haven't seen enough of. I think the blocking game and helping out in that area from a run standpoint, um, that's hurting you there. Uh, okay, is that the last Twitter questions? Yes. I guess early Cowboys thoughts, Eddie. Um, and I guess I got to throw a prediction on here. It's so early in the week. I hate even doing this at this point. Nine and a half, is that what I saw? I believe so. Uh, best point differential in the NFC. Second best to Buffalo. You know, fourth and turnover margin. Really good balance on offense. And they are so much more explosive offensively when they're at home. Yeah, it's a good point. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, their pass rush is borderline dominant. They've got the likely defensive player of the year, I'd assume, and Micah Parsons and then Zach Martin, who I think will go down as the greatest. Demarcus Lawrence as well. Marcus Lawrence, for sure. Um, the greatest basketball, uh, football player in the NFL from the state of Indiana with his all-pro trajectory continuing this season. Um, Ten and a half. Ten and a half, so it climbed, it's climbed to points since last night. Yeah, I'm going to go with Dallas. I'm going to go 30. Uh, 30 is a big number. Let's go 27-16, Dallas. I'm not afraid of it. 30. 30? Yeah, uh, 30 to 13. Yeah, I mean, who am I kidding? Micah Parsons probably got a strip sack, or Trayvon Diggs is probably watching this Matt Ryan film being like, can I get two pick sixes? Well, here's the difference, though, with like Trevon Diggs and some of the other cornerbacks. He doesn't really sit on the routes that are underneath. He's more of a guy who's down, like when he gets challenged down the field, because he's able to run with receivers, unlike most cornerbacks. Well, challenging down the field is not something the Colts typically do. Correct. From a vertical passing game standpoint. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. It's just, you know, it's disappointing, at Eddie, that it's here. You know, we had a question a few weeks ago about the chaos of the season and you know, if I enjoy that. And I mean, we're looking at five games the rest of the year, and with every loss, you just inch closer to apathy from the fan base. I mean, I see it in Twitter questions, Eddie. I mean, we didn't get our normal amount. Now, part of that's a primetime game, but still. Oh, by the way, Michael Parsons is minus a thousand for defensive player of the year. So he's pretty much a lock, um, barring an injury. Yeah. So. Oh man, just um, just kind of a bummer that we're already so off-season focused in late November. So those that are sticking with us in the pod, we greatly appreciate it. Colts and Cowboys Sunday Night Football coming up here in Week 13. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody stay safe. We'll talk to you next week.